Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. This month, we are honoring people that have been inducted into the Hall of Fame for 2023. We've had two people on, Marie Smith, the first week of September, and Linda Leakes was on last week. And this week, we have Leslie Mead, who is retired executive director of the Cooperative Development Foundation. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, Vern. And how are you today? I'm great. <laughs> okay. And what part of the world are you in today? I am in Arlington, Virginia, which is my home. Okay. So, Leslie, let's talk about you a little bit here. How did you get involved with co-ops? Well, it isn't a particularly glamorous story. I had graduated from the Indiana University School of Law, and my um, soon-to-be husband had gotten a job with a law firm in Washington, D.C., and I needed a job and sent out a lot of letters and got uh, a job interview with the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, which is a trade association that represents farmer cooperatives, obviously, and um, they had a, a legal department and um, interviewed there and um, was hired, but really had no background in cooperatives. Uh, the work was predominantly tax and antitrust, um, and you know, and and lobbying. Uh, at the time, the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, and they still do, have have a, a committee of lawyers and accountants from across the United States that um, are quite active in in shaping and and talking about uh, sharing information on um, the tax treatment of cooperatives, a very valuable service to their members. So how long did you do this? And I, yeah, I think I retired from, I left there in 96, from 84 to 96. Did you know about co-ops before you went to NCFC? No, I did not. In fact, it was a learning experience, and I attribute my success there to just tremendous mentorship from my boss, Jim Krasminski, who was the um, the general counsel. And uh, Jim really oriented me uh, both to the rigors of, you know, law and the, the background of cooperatives, particularly farmer cooperatives, and that served me incredibly well. And I frequently think of how lucky I was to have that type of mentorship early in my life. So you got that mentorship. Did you have an opportunity to be mentors of people throughout your career? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's, that's uh, 
that that's probably one of the most important things that you can do in your career. And um, and yes, I've tried to be a mentor um, to to people, young people as they come up. So I um, I find in the co-op world, as I've gotten to know it, and I got no training in my formal education either about co-ops. I thought maybe because of Indiana and there's a lot of farmers in Indiana that maybe you would have gotten some experience of co-ops growing up. But, <laughs> okay, you didn't. No, my father worked in a, a you know, managed a factory, so. <laughs> and my father worked on the railroad, so there was no cooperation in either one of those. So what did you do after the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives? You were there for 13 years. Yeah. Well, while I was there, I um, moved from the legal department to become the, the vice president of the education arm of, of uh, NCFC. And at that time, they put on something called the NICE Conference, the National Institute of Cooperative Education. And um, I did that for a, a number of years and then... In 96, I resigned. I was pregnant with my first child and um, uh, stayed home, you know, and took care of my kids for a a number of years. Before you go further, Mm -hmm. your degree is in law. How did you transfer from legal department to VP of education? Well, I mean, you know. A lot of, you know, part of it was opportunity. It was it was uh, a, a substantial promotion, but um, you know, essentially, cooperatives are a legal entity, right? Mm-hmm. So, understanding, you know, what a cooperative is, is 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 part of that education, and I find that people who understand what a cooperative is. The contractual relationship between the cooperative and and the member, um, its position in 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 terms of tax and and other things, a strong grounding in that makes for happier members. I, I often have felt that sometimes we oversell cooperatives to make them seem like they can deliver more than they really can, and that creates unhappy members and and I think does not garner success in cooperatives. So I, I thought that there was a real logical connection between the law background, you know, a really a serious foundation in understanding what a cooperative was and, and the education. So the education work, was that normally the principal five of education information, training education information, is that what you were, the umbrella you were working under? Yes. And, you know, um, early on with when farmer cooperatives were started, um, you know, there was a lot of government involvement in cooperatives at, at that time. Um, this National Institute of, of Cooperative Education was a week-long program. People would come for a whole week and learn about, you know, how do you do accounting for cooperatives and how do you run member meetings and, you know, just the the real nuts and bolts of of running cooperatives because people were starting up cooperatives all over the country. You know, as time progressed and these co-ops became much more established, the, the, the programs became 
sort of more nuanced in in competing in the global market and that sort of thing. Okay. National Institute of Cooperative Education, is that still around? I've not heard of it. It isn't, no. Okay. All right, so you law, education, housewife. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's... Yeah. yeah, while I was home with the kids, I um, was involved in a, a, a preschool cooperative, and then I also was the um, executive uh administrator of the Association of Cooperative Educators and later than the executive director of the Cooperative Foundation. So I worked part-time in those positions, keeping up my contacts and cooperatives and, um, you know, and doing whatever it was needed with the small children in the house. So, so let's go to the school. So was that school where your children were in, and was that school a, a co-op? It was. It was a preschool cooperative in Arlington. It was, uh, you know, all parent-run. It had a paid executive director and, and paid teachers, uh, but the parents worked in the cooperative and managed and, and governed the cooperative. It was... A wonderful experience for the children and probably even more so for for the, the parents that were involved because I think we we learned a lot about leadership we learned a lot about child care and parenting through our involvement in, in the cooperative so we had to work classrooms so this preschool cooperative in Arlington was it owned by the parents so it's a consumer co-op. The mm-hmm. parents owned it and then hired management and teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the parents worked as the teachers' aides and were, you know, on the board, directors, and did the fundraising and all those things. So was this very expensive compared to other preschools, or? No, it was. It, well, you know, it's a funny thing. We were talking before the the program. Um, because the parents served as the um, as the teacher's aide, the, the cost was fairly reasonable. But you had to have a, a job that either you were a stay-at-home mother or father, or um, you know you were sort of a white-collar worker that had flexibility in their jobs. And this is you know in, in, in the in the nineties when we had less flexibility, mm-hmm. I think, in our jobs. So that you could, you know, take off and go work in the classroom because um, at that time, like, you couldn't, your nanny couldn't do it or whatever. So there was, there was, you know, an expense in terms of your time. And and the the setup excluded, I think, a, a lot of people who didn't have that kind of flexibility. So, you know, it, it's one of those, those, those systemic operational things that co-ops get into about, you know, who are we excluding just by the way we you set up. process right. the setup is. Mm-hmm. I just found that there's a co-op school in Greenbelt and there's one in a school in D.C. And with the parents' involvement, I get the sense that the parents like it and feel like the students are getting what they want them to get. I started to say they're getting better education, but I don't want to go label that. 
but at least it's the parents like what the students are getting and they get it at a lower price but they have to spend time in there so you're right mm-hmm. yeah okay so you mentioned ace and you mentioned the foundation we're going to take our first break and then come back and talk about those experiences and I really want to get into whether the benefits of co-op that you found out, again, you you didn't grow up in a co-op on a farm or whatever, and you didn't get it in your formal education, you got it in your first job. So let's talk about what you've learned about co-ops and when we come back from the break. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. We have Leslie Mead, uh, attorney Leslie Mead, on with us today, and we're going over how she got introduced to co-ops and her tremendous career in the world of cooperation. So, Leslie, before we took break, we were talking about you working in a preschool co-op in Arlington, being a member there and working in there if you're raising your children. And then you said you were part-time in ACE. So what is ACE and what did you do there? Well, I was with the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. I came in, uh, I, I worked, did a lot of work with William Nelson, who um, is also a member of the Hall of Fame, and at that time was uh, the head of the um, CHS Foundation. And when I uh, stepped down from NCFC, he asked me if I would be interested in running the Association of Cooperative Educators. Um, and that sounded great to me. Um, the Association of Cooperative Educators is a membership organization that um, has members around the world, but pre- predominantly in Puerto Rico, the United States, and Canada. And uh, they did a newsletter, an annual conference, tended to be people who were at either in education roles at cooperatives and at university level educators. So people from the University of Wisconsin Center for Cooperatives or uh, the Saskatchewan Center for Cooperatives. Um, And um, so I wrote the newsletter and did everything uh, involved in in running the association, um, managed the conference. And then at that time, I also worked with the cooperative foundation which uh, gave grants for cooperative education and um, that was a particularly rewarding experience because uh, we had the opportunity to sort of you know we didn't have a, a ton of money on the foundation but but we had our I think our finger on the pulse enough that we could put money early on into projects that were just getting off the ground. So I think we were we contributed substantially to the worker co-op movement, mm-hmm. you know, early in its development. And, um, you know, and, and you've seen how that 
sector has grown in recent years. So all the way back to ACE, they mm-hmm. just had their annual conference in Puerto Rico, I think the beginning yes. of this month. Are, are you still involved with them? No, well, no, I, I'm not, I, I didn't go to the conference, but yeah, I keep track of them. <laughs> Yeah, I keep saying I'm going to join that organization because I've taught 10 years in my career and I like teaching and I like being in environments where education is being transferred, um, mm-hmm. particularly this co-op education. Yeah, that seemed like it would be uh, just an honor to work with educators, co-op educators. It's uh, I think ACE is particularly valuable in that you, you do have that university-level um academic involved and uh, you know and, and the international uh, aspect of it so you hear what's going on in French Canada you you hear about you know Prairie Canada the uh, you know South America Latin America um, and all of those things really in, can inform your thinking and and co-op development okay so you went to the foundation and the foundation gave grants for people to become educated? So some of it was co- cooperative education grants. Um, some of it was was uh, the development of cooperative education materials. Some of it was just just co-op development work, um, but, but primarily focus on, on education. All right. So you also did some work with the Ralph K. Moores Foundation. What is the Ralph K. Moores Foundation, and what work did you do there? So Ralph, Ralph K. Morris was a um, really important attorney in the upper Midwest working um, farmer cooperatives. And when he died, they, <clears throat> his friends and family set up a foundation that would support cooperative development and education. He was a strong strong promoter of of uh, of cooperative education and um i was asked to develop sort of a plan for how they could distribute that money and what uh we came up with was a way that people that, that the foundation could give money to people who wanted to attend cooperative education programs so you could self-identify that, that you wanted to go to ACE, you wanted to go to Up and Coming. It was a fairly easy application, and the Morris Foundation could give you both tuition and travel support uh, to go to those meetings. Um, I, I think it was really an effective tool for expanding the universe of people who were attending uh, cooperative education meetings. So... I was at the Up and Coming conference, and that's for people starting food co-ops throughout the U.S. And I think there were 266 people there this past week. And somebody from Ralph K. Morris, I don't have his name, it was, it was announced that they had funded so many scholarships for people to come because a lot of people there are starting food co-ops, and they don't have any money. Okay, uh, right. they're raising the money to start the food co-op, and so the Ralph K. Moore's Foundation was funding them to be at the conference, which I thought was great. 
Yes, I think that uh, the Ralph K. Morse, they, they, they've evolved so that they give kind of block grants to organizations to help provide um, scholarships as well. But I, I think they've done more to sort of democratize the, the, the attendance at these meetings than any other foundation around. They, they really should be applauded. Well, that's what I'm just doing. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to know more about them, so you just gave me the opportunity to to know more about the Ralph K. Morris Foundation, and they are helping to fund education of co-ops. And in this world, it was food co-ops. And I would say in of the 266 people, I wouldn't be surprised if 100 were African Americans throughout the U.S., from California to New York and everywhere in between, it seems, that are starting food co-ops. And again, some of these people wouldn't have had the money to be there, and the foundation gave scholarships. I don't know who they gave the scholarships to. That was not announced. But yeah, that was great. And it was a great conference. So how did you get to the Cooperative Development Foundation? So I think that was um, part of the Old Girls Network. Judy Zewatz, uh, who is also in the Hall of Fame, and I think you, you know, um, has been involved in cooperatives most of her life, was um, filling in uh, at, at CDF after the executive director uh, resigned. And um, she asked me if I was interested in applying for the position. And, I applied with a number of other people and was was selected. It was a good time in my life to, to go back to work, and it was a fortuitous um, opportunity. Those things don't come around very often, but, um, you know, a lot of life is, uh, <laughs> is who you know, right? Mm-hmm. So how long were you the executive director of the Cooperative Development Foundation? Uh, seven years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So your kids are older now and you could do that work full time? Yeah, I, I think they were in high school when I went to when I went back to um, CDF and now they're out on their own. So. Yeah. Okay, so what does CDF do? Just what's their mission, if you will? What's their what's their purpose? So there's I think three things. They they give grants. They do programmatic work where they receive grants from, say, USDA or the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and um, other places. And then they host the Hall of Fame, so honor uh, cooperative um, innovators. So those are, I think, the the three areas uh, that CDF works in. So it's grants to help start co-ops? Some of it's grants to help start co-ops, some of it's education grants, scholarships. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. We're going to find out more about what CDF is and what Leslie Mead has done in there. We'll be right back. News Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information is power. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. Leslie, next month, October, we will celebrate 10 years on the air. 
it's been an exciting 10 years, and I just consistently and continue to learn about the different segments of cooperation. And NCB, National Co-op Bank, has been our sponsor all of these 10 years. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And from everything I can tell, they do a really, really good job of that, and it's, it's just a pleasure working with them through these 10 years. And I assume CDF has worked with NCB a little bit through the years. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Chuck Snyder, past president of the bank, was on our board. NCB has been a huge uh, supporter of the race that we we do. CDF does a fundraising race and um, the Hall of Fame um, just put both time and money and staff into many CDF um, endeavors. Uh, couldn't do, couldn't have done it without NCB, huge supporter of cooperative education all around. Yes. So you had a huge staff, didn't you, while you were executive director? Oh, yeah, a huge staff of about two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, sometimes you think back and you think, why didn't we do more of this or that? And then you realize, and then you think, hmm, you know, when you're in an under resourced organization, you do what you can and I, I think we, we've been really proud of what we have been able to accomplish at CDF and Mary Griffin continues to accomplish great things there. So Mary Griffin took over after you took over to ham after you left? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, she's the executive director with uh, Kirsty um, Boyette who um, is, is just integral to that staff as well. So you, you mentioned the three things before the break of grants and programmatic kinds of things with Department of Agriculture or other organizations and then host of the Hall of Fame. But when I go to your to the CDF's um, webpage, under funds and grants, they talk about the Cooperative Development Fund, the Cooperative Education Fund, and Disaster Recovery Fund. So I guess one of the things that I've liked is this disaster recovery fund. Can you talk about mm -hmm. that and when did that get started? Oh gosh, you know, I, I, that was before my time. I think it got started in a big way with the Katrina disaster. CDF raised a lot of money to help with Katrina, not recovery, but sort of economic development after Katrina. I believe that CDF worked with the Federation of Southern Cooperatives in working in, in those areas to help people impacted by the Katrina disaster to, you know, get back on their feet, set up co-ops, um, and re rebuild co-ops that had been damaged by the disaster. Over the years since then, we use it for Hurricane recovery, NRECA has been a huge participant in, in a donator to, to the fund. And, um, and also at the international level, we've, uh, you know, earthquake recovery where co-ops have been, co-op operations have been damaged and 
El Salvador or, or wherever, and um, uh, we can provide support to get those co-ops back on their feet. Yeah, I was just excited. Um, I've been consulting to help support a property management company that works with Rock Mobile Home mm-hmm. Parks. That's mobile home parks in Colorado, and and CDF came through and helped these mobile home parks. They had terrible snows and high winds and all kinds of different issues, wildfires, and CDF came in to help. And I was just really excited about having an organization that comes in and help people in, in times, because in bad times, and a lot of people that live in mobile home parks are low-income folks. They don't have a whole mm-hmm. bunch of resources, so they needed the help. And I noticed Katrina was 2005. That's eight years ago. Okay. So 18. Yeah. So just a shout-out for the disaster recovery work that you yeah. all do. You know, some of the, I think, some of the most significant work that we did while I, I was there was working with um, with home care cooperatives these are businesses that uh, are predominantly women and immigrants, women of color who who own and and work in these organizations, and uh, they tend to be real low income, uh, not great working conditions, and the co-ops have uh, done a lot to improve both the quality of care and the um, and the um, and, and, and the sense of of, of pride and, and uh, respect that workers uh, feel. And CDF has worked with the co-op community to, to help support a meeting of, of home care cooperatives um, every year. It's held at uh, the um, Cooperative Finance Corporation, which just Sheldon Peterson was the president of they donate lots of uh, staff time and money to the to the program and um, USDA grants have been used to support uh, research and, and development of these co-ops uh, I, I think in terms of combining both the, the grant making and the programmatic work that CDF has done our work in home care cooperatives has been um, really outstanding and co-op development is slow work, um, but uh, progressively we've developed more of these co-ops. Like I, they, they do an annual report every year on, on the co-op development. I think it's increased by about a hundred percent in the time, you know, in the last eight years that we've worked on it. So, um, in terms of looking back at, you know, what co-ops can do for people to improve their lives and, you know, what I, I feel personally um, proud of, that work in the home care cooperative with home care cooperatives has been, um, uh, you know, one of the high points of my career. So let's talk about that a minute. Um, I am in the baby boomer cohort. So... My sister had a stroke a year ago, February, and I've got a real close friend that had a massive stroke. And getting home health care workers that are good is difficult. I've got another friend in in California that's been having to go through home health care workers. 
and sometimes money is not the problem, but it's finding somebody to do the work. So getting a good worker that's trained and has the right attitude for helping uh, somebody that can't help themselves in most cases. And how does being a co-op help the worker first? And then how does it being a co-op help the client? Yeah, um, I, I think being a co-op can really help the worker in, in that they have support. Uh, they are working for people who understand what that job is. The focus of, of the co-op, because it's a worker co-op, really is on the satisfaction of, of the worker um, and the satisfaction and the quality of, of, of the care. Um, you have more better communication between the, the co-op and, and the worker so that a better understanding of, of the kind of training they need. It's incredibly isolating work being a home care provider. Uh, it's you and, and the, the um, client. Um, there isn't a lot of support, you know, for both on um, how you're doing your job, people saying, oh, you're doing a great job, you're not doing a great job, um, and, and getting support in terms of how do I do my job better. The co-op provides that kind of feedback to its its workers, um, its worker owners, right? Um, there's more job satisfaction, more respect. So what about um, the client the worker has an ability to say what their schedule is. Does mm -hmm. that happen in a co-op? Where in a non-co-op, they may not have that ability to just go when the person tells them they've got to go? So I, I think what, where, what, what you have with the, the co-op is you have backup, uh, too. If, if your child is sick or you can't, um, you can only work certain days. The co-op is, is more flexible in finding someone else to come in or put you into a position where, uh, you know, working with another client or that, that better fits your, your schedule. You know, in the end, co-ops can't do everything. And, you know, people have to take, have to, clients have to be served and have to be served well and people have to be there when they have to be there so there isn't anything about a co-op that says you know makes you, <laughs> you know, not have to fill the, those, those those work duties but there there is more um, flexibility and planning in um, in meeting those requirements of the job and training too training back to training so you have been working with the home health care field for about eight years, having an annual meeting, helping people to start home health care co-ops and getting the training they need, the workers getting the training they need to give better quality care. Yeah. And so I, I did have on the show the executive director of or the president of the home health care worker in New York that has 1,500 members. Uh -huh. worker owners and he was telling me not not only do they do everything that we just talked about but they also 
advocate through the U.S. government that Medicare will pay a better salary because there's a limit on it and therefore it's hard to get the worker the kind of salary that they need and deserve given the amount of work because it's not easy work either. It, it can be very It is difficult. that easy work. Yeah. And, and everybody needs home care, uh, you know, will eventually need some sort of home care, but the, the government we, pay is low. We've got to take our final break and we're going to come back and talk about the future of CDF and all of the work of COAF. We'll be right back. News Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information is power. Information is power. It's WOL's motto, and they've been a great partner these 10 years also. But I got to tell you, Leslie, it's not information. Information is stored up power. You don't get the power until you get into action. You have to take that information, that knowledge, and put it into action. And a guy named Papa Sin from Senegal was on the show that first month we were on, October 10 years ago. And that was the first thing he said to me. you got to get into action. And so CDF has been in action under your direction and we've talked about the grants, a little bit about programmatic kinds of things, but let's talk about the Hall of Fame before we get to the future. The Hall of Fame this year, the inductees will happen on October the 5th, and you're one of those inductees. How does it feel to be an inductee of the Hall of Fame? Honestly, a little mortifying. I um, have spent most of my career trying not to be the center of attention, so uh, this is... Um, you know, this took some adjustment for me to get my head around. Um, I feel as though, uh, you know, I should be on the at the podium with about, you know, 200 other people who have helped me through my my life. So, um, yeah, it's it's an honor, and um, uh, that doesn't, you know, I, may, maybe some people feel like they deserve it, but I certainly don't feel that way. <laughs> Well, I think you you make a great point, and most people that get inducted into the Hall of Fame in the co-op world talks about real quickly. There's these two hundred other people. It's a it's a group thing. It's and we work in cooperation. I might be up front leading the charge, but it's the two hundred people to make things happen. Or in the case of CDF, it was two and a half people you know, with with a lot of support from other organizations like NCB, and that would make things, and I found it interesting when you said that NCB would use their staff to help the Hall of Fame or other organizations or the the um, the race, the 5K race. Um, so you get a whole lot of other people working with you, and that's a great leader. So, yeah, that's what you are. <laughs> Well, and you know, NCB is a is a sponsor of this program, and and they are just you know front and center in in co op support. Uh, but there there are so many others too, and CoBank has been a terrific supporter of um, of, of CDF and uh, you know the the rural electric CFC. I just can go on and on about. Uh, 
the, the, the support that, that the co-op community has given um, CDF. And in turn, you know, we've been able to reach out to people who haven't, you know, don't, don't fall outside those, those established co-op circles. So have, have been able to help in the worker co-op area and food co-op and have done some work with indigenous uh, people and, you know, those contributions from those established organizations come from the goodness of their, their, their heart and the, um, and, you know, they're the principle of cooperating among cooperatives. So yep, we've been very fortunate. That's principle six of seven principles of cooperation, cooperation among co-ops. So if somebody wanted to get a ticket to the dinner on October the 5th, how would they do that? I think you would go to the, the, the CDF website. It's uh, cdf.coop. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It, it's, you would go to the Hall of Fame website, which is um, heroes.coop, and you can get a ticket there. Okay. So go to heroes.coop. Yes. Okay. So I'm on that webpage. And 50th anniversary. The, okay. It may, you may have at this point call. I, I think that the last thing I saw was there were 23 tickets left. Okay. So tickets are $300 per person. Mm-hmm. It gets you into the reception and the dinner. And the last you heard, there were 23 tickets. The reason I was asking, I was I had heard that they were full, but they may not be. So just go to heroes.coop. Yes. And uh, and then you go to sponsorship and tickets, which is all the way into the right on the header. Sponsorship and tickets to see about. I'm sure you can still donate. <laughs> okay. I just got a text from Kirsty that says they're sold out. Yeah, I th- <laughs> thought I had heard that. I thought I had heard that. And at $300 a ticket, that's really saying something because it is a fundraiser to to help you with all of the different kinds of things that CDF does that we've talked about here and others that we haven't talked about. So that's the Co-op Hall of Fame. Congratulations on being inductee this year. You deserve it. I've been on the selection committee maybe seven years out of the last ten, and you deserve it. Even though you might have wanted to work in the back behind the mic or so people didn't see or you just got work done, you're out there now. So good. You deserve it. What do you see the future of co-ops? Well, you know, being the the parent of, you know, 20-somethings, I really see that that generation, their lives are going to be significantly different than the life that I've led. And I think that, you know, with with climate change and the price of housing and um, just, you know, population growth, that the things that they will aspire to and the way that they will live are going to be different than, than, than what we had aspired to or what was available to us. And so 
I see that there's a role for cooperatives in you know meeting some of the the, the needs of of this of this new generation. I mean, they, um, uh, for instance, in Arlington, we just went and we just approved um, uh, zoning that got rid of single family housing, and um, so we'll have multi family housing across the county. Uh, you know, in 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 neighborhoods. Now, th- those houses could be. Um, you can have up to a sixplex. Those houses could be condos or they could be co-ops. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm curious about whether we could see that kind of cooperative development in these smaller unit, scattered site housing. I think that that it would be ideal. For, for a cooperative to have a, a small small unit development, you know, shared cars. Um, I, I, I just think there's a lot of opportunities here for children, for young people to think about cooperatives. And cooperatives were, were formed to meet a need, you know, whether it was electricity, housing, you know, banking with credit unions. And so looking at what we have, what the world looks like now, and say what what is the need for the future, and um, I, I, I think co-ops have a role in in that, particularly in housing. Yeah, housing uh, is very expensive, and it's amazing how expensive it's gotten in the last ten to twenty years. So your children, my grandchildren, they are looking at you know million dollar homes if they wanted to buy a house right so yeah let's let's do multifamily. so what would you like to leave people with leslie me what's your last thought one minute okay my i guess my last thought is none of us got where we are on our own and um look around and and see who you can help who you can give good mentorship to and have honest conversations with to, you know, build the next group of leaders because in the end, that's probably the most important thing that you can do in your life. And that's what co-ops do. Leslie, thank you very much. And everybody out there, we'll be back next Thursday to talk to our last Hall of Famer for this year. Please live cooperatively. Talk 1450 WOLAM, where information is power.